Abby, Congressman Ken Buck says TikTok time is up. And Corolla diagnoses our culture's insanity. And Roger Stone joins us. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And Thank you very much. We are so excited to have you here and very excited to have this wonderful studio audience with us. And they are practicing everything from social distancing to uh, coming in with masks and bathing and sanitizer, all that stuff. And they're mainly doing that because Keith is in the room and they are a little bit worried. <laughs> but that's okay. They are keeping their distance as they should. Well, there is this little small gang of people who once made lots of money in D.C. as Republican political consultants, pollsters, party insiders, and commentators, and they really hate President Trump. Now, they've always been tied to the establishment of D.C., or the swamp, as some people like to call it. They once were the toast of the town because they were joined at the hip with the well-established elites, who really didn't have deep convictions about issues. They just enjoyed playing for the Republican team because the pay was good, and they got invited to all the cool parties in Georgetown, Manhattan, and Hollywood. And they were also the reason that nothing ever changed or was even challenged in Washington. They worked for candidates and elected officials who pretended to care about issues like the sanctity of life, our alliance with Israel, the middle class, jobs leaving the U.S. for China or Mexico, and health care. But in reality, neither they nor the candidates or elected officials they worked for really cared at all. Now, we voted for them because our alternatives were candidates with far-left positions that threatened free enterprise, the lives of unborn babies, small businesses, factory jobs, important court appointments, and much more. But the election of Donald Trump messed up their legalized looting of the political donor class. You see, Donald Trump didn't become president because he was bought and owned by the political class. He mostly used his own money to become president and really hadn't had to do a lot of the bidding of the typical political hacks. And to be honest with you, they aren't happy. In fact, he's called on very few of them for anything and they are not going away quietly. Folks, they don't hate him because he failed to do what he said. They hate him because he did exactly what he said he would do. That's why they don't like him. Maybe you've heard of this small little group of Republican uh, malcontents. They call themselves the Lincoln Project. I'm going to tell you, the so-called Lincoln Project is about as true to Abraham Lincoln as I am to Weight Watchers. <laughs> Look, they love the power and the money, but when Donald Trump became president, they just didn't matter that much. Now, I got some friends who claim to be conservative, but they say they're going to vote for Joe Biden because they think President Trump is vain and vulgar. Oh, yeah, the same Joe Biden caught on a hot microphone uttering a truly vulgar term when talking to President Obama about signing Obamacare and who is cursed at the very people who attended his lightly attended events. But are elections even about a candidate's tone, his tweets, or his temperance? Sure, I'd love for all the people I vote for to be near perfect in personality, piety, and personal manners. But I care even more about whether the performance matches the promises on issues that really matter to me. Believing in the intrinsic worth and value of every human life from conception is sacred to me. And a candidate who's right about everything else, but wrong in respecting the God-given worth of every human life, is a candidate I can't and won't support. No candidate, our president, not even Ronald Reagan, 
has taken the number of bold, concrete steps to protect innocent human life, as has President Trump. Donald Trump has actually done more for preserving religious liberty than any president in my lifetime. I believe strongly in the First Amendment and with it, untouchable religious liberty. Other presidents have claimed to be champions for churches, synagogues, and mosques to be free from government control, but President Trump has delivered. And most all presidents promise to create jobs, preserve middle-class jobs, but until the shutdown of the economy because of the Chinese virus, President Trump had delivered, marking record jobs for blacks, Hispanics, women, and youth, and all of that with record pay increases. And while the previous administration said the manufacturing jobs in our country would never return, they actually have come back under President Trump. He has unflinchingly stood for the Second Amendment. He's insisted that America stop being the chump for China and all of its cheating. He stood for our border security while his opponent believes in open borders. And instead of folding like a cheap tent in a windstorm in the face of violent riots and mass looting, He's called for the protection of private and public property and the arrest of anarchists who have turned streets of major cities into war zones. And by the way, he's cut seven regulations from the backs of Americans for every new one enacted. So look, I understand why the ruling class of elitist snobs who run the D.C. swamp would vote for Biden to restore their control. But it means that the not-so-connected American will be abandoned. So I don't understand those who call themselves conservatives or even moderates voting for Joe Biden, a candidate 180 degrees from what they claim they believe, and 100% to a return for a government that's really for the elites and the swells. Donald Trump went to Washington to shake things up. His problem wasn't that he failed at that. His problem, he succeeded. Well, my next guest has a, taken a lead role against the growing security threats of Huawei, the TikTok app and the Chinese Communist Party. He's a former Department of Justice prosecutor and now congressman for Colorado's 4th District. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee, just to name a few. Here's my interview with Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado. Congressman, I want to start with uh, big tech because this week, Four top CEOs from Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple all got on the Hill answering questions. You were pretty straightforward with the CEO of Google, uh, particularly about their company's willingness to help the Chinese while rejecting uh, helping the American military. Explain what in the heck is going on with an American company that seems more interested in China than the Department of Defense for the United States. I have to tell you, I was very surprised. I, I was reading documents and uh, the uh, CEO of Google said that uh, they would not participate in the JEDI contract with the U.S. Department of Defense uh, because uh, the U.S. Department, U.S. military did not share their values. And yet they have worked uh, to get into the Chinese market. They have compromised. They have worked with the Chinese to the point where the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff testified in the Senate Armed Services Committee that the work that Google was doing in China was directly benefiting their military. That's scary. And, and it really isn't something that we should tolerate as consumers in this country. Congressman, I, I would wonder what are the values of Google if they're not the values of the United States Department of Defense that protects all of us, including protecting Google. What are their values? And, and how do you get a response to that from Google? Well, I asked him, I, I, I speculated that perhaps they share the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party's values, that they, uh, the Chinese Communist Party uh, imprisons uh, Uyghur uh, minorities and uh, forces them into slave labor. Maybe that's one of Google's values, or perhaps their, their values are the suppression of free speech in, in Hong Kong. Or maybe Google thinks uh, that the uh, way that the Chinese Communist Party handled the spread of COVID and, and, and created a worldwide pandemic is a value that Google shares. I think that one thing they have in common uh, with, with China is their corporate espionage and the Chinese corporate espionage. That is, that is one of the common values they have with China. 
this was a rare moment of bipartisanship in that committee because Democrats were unhappy with the anti-competitive nature, uh, as were Republicans. And also there's a lot of concern about a very marked and obvious bias against conservative content on many of these platforms. How can you deal with it? What can you do to help challenge this and fix it? I have to tell you, uh, Governor, it's, you're absolutely right that uh, it was clear that both sides had problems with these CEOs and, and their companies, but a much different problem. The Democrats have a problem with big. Uh, Republicans don't believe that big is necessarily bad, but we have a problem with the bias that is being demonstrated by these monopolies, with the uh, invasion of privacy that is being demonstrated by these monopolies, and with the suppression of innovation in the marketplace that's being demonstrated by these monopolies. Do you see antitrust action being one of the solutions, uh, literally breaking them up, like we remember the old AT&T breakup of the early 80s? Is that where we're headed with all this? You know, it's a great question because Congress's role is to make sure that we have laws that uh, give the regulators the, the tools that they need to do their job. And then we have to also make sure that they have the resources they need to do their job. It's up to the regulators. It's up to the Federal Trade Commission and the Antitrust Division at the Department of Justice to make the decision whether they should bring a case against these companies to break them up, uh, to punish them in some way for uh, anti-competitive behavior in, in mergers and acquisitions or a, a whole host of other uh, issues that, that I know these, these two agencies are looking at. You were also uh, in another rather uh, contentious committee hearing this week involving Attorney General Bill Barr. Congressman, I have to just say it straight out, I've never seen such a spectacle of the Democrats asking a question and refusing to even allow the beginning of an answer before screaming they wanted to reclaim their time. I thought it was ridiculous also. Uh, chairman Goodlatte was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee for the four years, my first four years in Congress. And, and Chairman Goodlatte would always let the witness answer a question uh, when uh, the time ran out. Uh, that wasn't allowed uh, with, with Attorney General Bard. It was sad because the Attorney General uh, had some very good explanations and, and I think the American people were misled about some of the activities that are going on in our country. A couple of projects that you're involved in I want to be able to touch on. One is uh, an HBO documentary called The Swamp. You, Matt Gates, and uh, Congressman Thomas Massey have been tracked over the past year. I'm anxious to hear about what we'll, uh, what we'll be able to see in that documentary. I wrote a book uh, three years ago called Drain the Swamp, um, and a lot of the concept of the book, the corruption in Congress, the, the fact that both parties are involved in this bipartisan bankruptcy uh, is included in the book and included in uh, this documentary. I just don't know uh, exactly uh, what, what parts they're going to use from any of the uh, people that they follow. And, and a book that you have coming out called Capital of Freedom, when does it come out? And uh, I hope it also deals with some of those issues that you have been a champion of for the American people. It does, actually. The, the book comes out on Tuesday, August 4th, and, and I'm really excited about this book. I, I write a, a book about how uh, the obvious parts of the Capitol, the, the features, represent constitutional principles and how the progressives have moved away from those constitutional principles. They're trying to cancel our culture. They're trying to deny our history, rewrite our history, because they can't get us to this uh, socialist, godless country that they're trying to create without, uh, by, without uh, bypassing the Constitution in some way. Sounds like a terrific book. I hope uh, our audience will order it. It comes out this week, Capital of Freedom by Congressman Ken Buck. Congressman, thank you for joining us. A delight to have you and hope to have you back soon. I look forward to it. Thank you, Governor. You can learn more about Representative Buck's work in Congress by visiting buck.house.gov. And you can also follow him on social media at Rep. Ken Buck. Now, if you'd like more of my take on news issues, be sure to stop by Huckabee.tv for facts of the matter. I look forward to seeing you right there. Okay, Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell us what's coming up on this great show tonight? Well, you won't believe this lineup. Tonight, Adam Carolla talks free speech, and Trump insider Roger Stone is here. And from the Brady Bunch fame, it's actor and singer Barry Williams here on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow 
And welcome back. My next guest is a comedian, podcaster, and fearless defender of free speech. He's got a brand new bestseller. It's called, I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, navigating our all-woke, no-joke culture. His podcast, The Adam Carolla Show, holds the Guinness World Record for the most downloaded podcast. That is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal to have Adam Carolla on our show tonight. Adam, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I want to begin with the extraordinary documentary that you and Dennis Prager put together called No Safe Spaces. Uh, we featured it on the show a year ago. It goes into DVD distribution this fall. Uh, but interestingly, Netflix won't run it. And Walmart, you can order it, but they won't stock it in the stores. It was the number one documentary in the entire year. What is going on? We made a movie about free speech and... Uh, ironically, they don't like the message of our movie about free speech. They're actually confirming the th all the tenets of our film. The reason we made this film is for this reason, and they're confirming it. It's ironic. There was a particular moment in the film that I want to just allude to because I thought it was worth the price of the, the film. Everybody ought to get a copy and make their children and grandchildren watch it. But it's when you talked about, as a kid growing up, you rode your bicycle, you didn't have a helmet, you didn't have constant supervision. You made this statement that I thought was so profound. You said, because we didn't have everyone hovering over us, we learned how to fall. I thought that was a powerful observation about what's happening to kids today who don't learn how to fall, i.e. fail. Well, you know, I've said it in front of Congress, which is uh, when you send astronauts up into the space station, they have to do exercises to simulate gravity because when you're in a zero gravity environment, you lose muscle mass and bone density and it hurts you a lot. And a lot of these kids are growing up in a zero gravity environment and they're losing their muscles and they're losing their bone density. And it's not a physical thing, but obviously it's, gra it's gravity free in our society, in their brains. Your brand new book called I'm Your Emotional Support Animal. Uh, you once again talk about the fact that there is such a void of good comedy of people having the freedom to go and, and tell a joke because too many people are woke. Uh, Help us understand what is wrong with a cancel culture? What's going on and how is that dangerous to the next generation? Well, they want control. They say they want apologies, but a, an apology, forcing someone to apologize to you is really just you controlling them. So they're sort of drunk with that power. They're all narcissists and they're weak people and they're bad people. They really, instead of going out and creating their own material, they're judging everyone else's, and then a mob of them is deciding you need to apologize, otherwise you're gonna be removed from your livelihood, and what they don't understand is they're gonna turn on each other, as you've seen already. So it feels good momentarily, but it's like eating taffy before you go to bed. Tell Get back to me in five years and tell me how you're checkup is at the dentist. <laughs> when you talk about uh, the element of college, it's, it's with a real sense of contempt, contempt for the fact that colleges have become the hotbed of censorship, of control. Should parents think twice before they write a big fat check so their little darlings can go off to college and get ruined? I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I for sure would, and I also, I was talking to Dr. Drew about it. I was saying, how can we be simultaneously becoming more and more educated and dumber as a society? You know, we're, we're missing a basic horse sense. We're missing a clarity. We're common sense, the kind of things we used to hear about growing up. Now everyone has a college degree, but they've lost their ability to think and reason, and I realized they're going to college instead of going to a lumber mill or the military or uh, a construction site and really learning how to practically use their brain. 
You know, Adam, uh, we, we are all confronted with people who are radical leftists who yell and they scream at us and they don't like the way that we talk or what we believe. What's your advice of how to deal with these leftists? And I know this is one of the things that you deal with in your book, but I, I want to ask you to explain to our audience, how do we deal with these leftists who think that we just ought to disappear with our views that are different than theirs? Well, I think the first thing is you don't apologize and you don't step back. And I know it sounds easy to say, but they are essentially folks that take hostages. And the more you pay the hostages and the more you negotiate with the hostages, the more they progress. So they'll need more as you, as you retreat, they'll advance. It's funny, I was just talking to Mark Garagos, the attorney, yeah. and he told me there was a supermarket chain and their policy was if someone did a slip and fall in their store, they would just pay them out. So they would just pay out when someone slipped and fell and they thought it was easier and faster, except for they got more and more cases because the word got out that they were slipping and falling and there was a payday from the supermarket. So negotiate, it's good in the short run, but it costs you big picture. You know, that kind of thing is, is very powerful. It's, it's what your book is all about. Your book is a very straightforward, uh, raw. It's not, uh, you know, for the weak of heart, but living life right now is not for the weak of heart. And I hope people will get it and read it and realize that wherever they are on the political spectrum, uh, we need to embrace liberty, free speech, and the idea of letting people be who they are. And uh, Adam, I wanna thank you for being who you are and being bold and courageous, even in the world of comedy. And I hope you will continue to be an outspoken advocate for free speech. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Governor. Well, Keith Bilbrey is about to tell you where you can get your own copy of Adam Carolla's new book and also see his very timely documentary, No Safe Spaces. Keith? I'm your emotional support animal is at Amazon.com and all major booksellers. You can also find all of Adam's books, his podcasts, social media links, and much more at AdamCarolla.com. And visit NoSafeSpaces.com to stream the number one political documentary from 2019. Or get it on DVD at NoSafeSpaces.com. Next, newsmaker Roger Stone is in the house and later actor Barry Williams shares Hollywood tales and performs with his band, The Travelers, here on Huckabee. Next week, Debbie Campbell remembers her dad in song and Dana Daniels performs Amazing Illusions. Well, we're glad you have stayed with us because you will be happy that you did because my next guest is a longtime political strategist, former advisor to Donald Trump and a best-selling author. Last year, he got arrested, charged, and convicted, he says, for the crime of supporting the president. But earlier this month, President Trump commuted the sentence of Roger Stone just days before he was scheduled to report to prison. He's here tonight for his first in-studio interview since his commutation. Please welcome my friend, Roger Stone. Roger, good to have you here. Thank you, Governor. You know, you went through a period where you didn't have a whole lot of friends. All those people kind of abandoned you, didn't they? No, it's amazing how the country club Republicans and the establishment types who pretended for so many years to yep. be my friends, how they cut and run, how they headed to the tall grass. In fact. I want to thank you, Governor, because you're one of the few who stood tall from the very beginning. You called out the injustice I was being subjected to. You were among a handful of folks who pointed out how completely political the prosecution of Roger Stone was and how this was really a persecution, not a prosecution. Well, it was, it was maddening to me because I saw not just uh, the attempt to go after you. That was clear. But the manner in which it was done, the raid at 5 o'clock in the morning on your home with uh, 27 SWAT cars and uh, automatic weapons. I mean, they could have simply called your lawyer and said, look, can you bring Roger in at nine o'clock this morning to the courthouse? We, we need to, uh, you know, file the charges. Yeah, and you would have done it. Yeah, that's the irony of this. The Democrats argue that I somehow received special treatment. Let's oh yeah, go, you did. Let's go through <laughs> that. 
When 29 SWAT-clad uh, uh, assault weapon FBI agents arrive at your home in 17 armored vehicles with a helicopter overhead, I lived on a canal then, two amphibious units pull up to the dock behind my house, frogmen with, with rifles jump out. They surround your home. They bring a battering ram up to the front door like they're gonna break it in. They've got dogs, a canine you know, unit on leashes, and they start pounding on the door. For the first time, nonviolent, white collar crime, process crime of lying to Congress, yeah, that's special treatment, no question about it. One of the reasons the president came to your sentence, you were about to be sent to prison. Um, you have some health issues. You're in that age group, over the age of 65. It would have potentially been a death sentence. They were letting people out of prison who committed violent crimes so that they wouldn't get coronavirus, and they were about, you to, about to send you into it. Contrary to the precedent, in every circuit in the United States, including D.C., contrary to the current uh, regulations of the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Prisons, contrary to my current age and health, and contrary to the facts regarding COVID-19 in the prison in Georgia that where they wanted to send to me, they were insisting that I turn myself in two Tuesdays ago. At the same time, the prison they wanted to send me to released a child pornographer, a serial rapist, uh, a, a, uh, an armed bank robber, uh, and, a, uh, and a pedophile. They were coming out of prison the same time they wanted to put me in. How did you find out that your sentence had been commuted? And just by the fact, our audience needs to know, a commutation is not a pardon. There's Correct. a difference. Commutation means that you have been commuted for the serving of the time. Correct. But you still stand convicted. So that's something, a whole new battle you have to fight, but you won't have to fight it from a prison cell. As of today, I intend to file the appeal, uh, to, to pursue the appeal. Uh, and, I, and the president called me uh, at about seven o'clock the Friday before I was supposed to turn myself in. He was very gracious, he was very warm. Of course, we've been friends for 40 years. He knows uh, that they put me under enormous pressure to lie, to bear false witness against him. They had identified a number of phone calls between myself and candidate Trump in 2016, and they wanted me to come clean. They wanted me to confess. They wanted me to cooperate in return for some vague promise of leniency. I knew what they were doing. This was days before the Mueller report. They had no Russian collusion. They wanted me to be the ham in their ham sandwich, and I declined. I refused to lie. What they actually convicted you of, lying to Congress, what is the essence of what they have said? And, you know, I, I know you've talked about the juror and the judge. Um, obvious question, why didn't your lawyer try to fight having that person on the jury? Did you know in advance uh, we that didn't, that person... We didn't know because, first of all, we had used all of our strikes. Okay. Secondarily, the judge has already held that Democratic Party activism, hatred of Donald Trump, those would not eliminate you from the jury. Mm. In fact, I had a jury of 12 Democrats. No independents, no Republicans, no military veterans, no conservatives, no evangelical Christians. Yet it's supposed to be a jury of your peers. It clearly was not your peers. Well, it was certainly, it may have been ethnically diverse, but it was not ideologically or politically diverse. Okay. Let me put it to you another way. It could have been the Obama-Clinton administration alumni reunion. <laughs> I mean, uh, the yeah. uh, majority of the jurors had either worked as political appointees, not yeah. civil servants, as political appointees, in either the Obama or Clinton administration, or they worked in a left-wing think tank, or they worked for a political action committee. A couple of them worked for uh, uh, early Democratic opponents for the president. You know, when you were uh, on our show, it was remote, but we talked at that time, and, and you made a powerful uh, revelation that as all of this has been piling in on top of you, it has also given you a, a new, renewed sense of your own spiritual life, and I know some people will be cynics and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, Roger, he, you know, gets threatened with jail, so he has a jailhouse conversion. Uh, but it wasn't that. It was a deeply profound moment in which you recognize uh, God's presence in your life. And I can't end this without having you share with us that part of Roger Stone that most people probably don't know. And heck, a year ago, you didn't know that part of Well, it, it's absolutely true. I mean, first of all, you cannot understand how horrific it is to be targeted by a vengeful federal prosecutor with a political agenda. They destroyed me financially. I lost my home, my savings, my insurance, my ability to make a living, my voice, because I was 
unconstitutionally gagged, so I couldn't write or speak or defend myself. And um, I would say last January, I pretty much hit rock bottom. Yeah. I was angry, I was frustrated, I was broke. I was worried about my wife because she's 73, uh, she is hearing impaired, and she has rheumatoid arthritis. She's a beautiful, vital woman, very active, but I didn't know who would support her if I were unfairly incarcerated. Uh, and a, a number of uh, clerics, including my own parish priest, had really urged me to embrace the Lord and put my problems in his hands. And I kept saying yes, and I would try to read the Proverbs, and I would read some of the Psalms, but I, I just wasn't feeling it. And then a very young, dynamic, uh, young evangelist called named Randy Coggins, whose dad was a pastor, whose grandfather was a pastor. He's a very dynamic uh, preacher. He sings, he dances, he really captures you. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, um, uh, Franklin Graham is going to be in Boca Raton, Florida, very near where I live, and he's having a big revival. Would you like to go? And I said, yeah, I really would. And uh, he's a powerful speaker. He's not his father. He's a different style, yeah. but that's not to take anything away from him. He's very dynamic. Yes, he is. And he got to the point in his oration where he said, I don't care what your problem is, whether it's alcoholism or drug abuse or family problems or health problems or, fa or, 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 or financial problems. God will help you. God will protect you. God will not abandon you, but you need to, to cleanse your soul. You need to get right with God. So those who want to be saved, stand up now and repeat after me. And I felt that calling. I felt it in that mm. moment. Mm. And I stood up with 400 other Christians in an open field in Boca Raton, and I took the pledge. And Governor, I got to tell you, it was like a cement block was lifted off my chest. Mm. Even though many of my friends and family were worried at the end, I had lost all worry. It was mm. out of my hands. It was now in the protective hands of God. The hardest part about this, the Bible teaches us that we must pray for those who trespass against us. Uh, you know, I'm half Sicilian, so revenge is kind of in my blood. <laughs> but <clears throat> I, I I'm have, glad you warned us of that, Roger. Thank you. But I have been directed to Hebrews uh, uh, 30, pardon me, 10, 30, 31, which says, vengeance is reserved for God. God will deal with them. I, it's not my problem. I have to worry about it. God, they will face God's vengeance, and the vengeance of a living God is a fearful thing. Yes, it is. So I'm at peace, uh, mm. and now I'm going to clear my name and do everything I possibly can to reelect probably the greatest president of my lifetime, and that's tough to say. Roger Stone, we love having you here. This audience appreciates you and uh, your candor and your uh, forthright just testimony is powerful. Thank you so very much. I'm going to ask Keith Bilbrey to tell our viewers how they can keep up with Roger Stone, if it is possible to keep up with Roger Stone, because he's kind of hard to keep up with, but it would be worth your time. Keith? I sure will. You can get all of Roger's books, including Stone's Rules, How to Win at Politics, Business, and Style, anywhere books are sold. Coming up, new stories that are funny but true on In Case You Missed It. Then, Brady Bunch star Barry Williams joins us. Well, goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. How about a hand of appreciation for Trey Corley and the Music City Connection? Well, from a woman who turned a bobby pin into a van and a man who chops watermelons on his friend's head, we've got the news stories that'll make you smile on a little segment we call In Case You Missed It. Do you remember the old party game, Trade Up? It's where you give everyone something small like a nickel, and you tell them to go through the neighborhood asking people to trade something bigger for it and continuing on. And when the time is up, all the kids return, and the team with the biggest item wins. Well, a lady in San Francisco decided to try it in daily life. Demi Skipper started with a bobby pin two months ago. She made two self-imposed rules no cash, and no trading with friends. Along the way, she has traded items up for an iPhone and a Dodge Ram van. Not a bad return for a hairpin. 
Ms. Skipper says she sends out hundreds of messages before and after work each day, finding people who are willing to trade something bigger or more valuable with her. Hey, so, Governor, uh, yeah. did I tell you my friend who's a stock trader, he recently, uh, you know, got electrocuted? Ooh, how'd that Did I tell happen? you about that? Oh, man. Oh. He shorted Tesla, so it was... Oh, uh, that's, um, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even understand that. I still don't understand that. I didn't write that. It's an electric car, Keith. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I really admire this lady in this story because swapping and trading, yeah, it's a tricky business. It is. One time I was on a trip to Egypt and almost got hoodwinked by a street trader in Cairo. He pulled out this big skull and told me it was the skull of the great queen Cleopatra, and I could have it for just $100. Hmm. But you know how I knew he was pulling a fast one? No, how? Well, when I said it was too expensive, he pulled out a small skull. And when I asked who it was, he told me it was the great Queen Cleopatra when she was a little girl. Oh, no. <laughs> I, think, I think we better get back yeah, to Ms. Skipper's maybe real could. trading story. All right, so her success has garnered millions of viewers on Instagram as they track her progress. Now, I got to tell you, I love her ultimate goal. Skipper has sworn that she will not give up until she has traded up for a house. We're going to keep you posted on her progress. Well, we all love summer, and one of the big reasons is delicious watermelons. Now, this story naturally is of great interest to me because I was born and raised in Hope, Arkansas, which is the watermelon capital of the world. Of course, the other reason is getting to chop them up on the head of a good friend, right? Well, that's the story for Mr. Ashrita Furman. Armed with a machete, Furman chopped through 50 watermelons perched on his friend's head in just 60 seconds to set a world record. Wow. Because there's a record for everything, and who knew there was one for this? I would tell you this, this guy is really one in a melon, don't you think? Uh. Well, Governor, again, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this reminded me of when my friend Byron went on a camping trip with his buddy Jim. Hmm. Now, keep this in mind. They were setting up tents when yeah. Jim suddenly collapsed. Byron jumped on his cell phone, called 911 in a panic. The dispatcher told Byron to calm down, first make sure that Jim was dead. Well, Ooh. all of a sudden, there's total silence on the phone, then a sound like an ax hitting a watermelon. Then my friend Byron got back on the phone and said, Okay, now what? Oh, Keith. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Somebody out there doesn't get that, and I hope they don't. Yeah, me too, really. Yeah. Well, I hope you still visit Byron occasionally in yeah. prison. Yeah. Um, I think a math joke may have been a better choice. Like, if Byron had 20 watermelons and Jim had none, but when Byron threw a watermelon at him, what would Jim have? Uh, a concussion, oh, Keith. That's oh, what he would have oh, had. Oh, yeah. Jim would have a concussion. concussion. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure why this guy is so obsessed with watermelon records, but I'm glad he and his friend are still safe and sound, because if he ever misses, I guess it would just be a slaughtermelon record. Oh! Woo! Uh. Travel a ways for that. Uh, yeah. All right, before we go, the folks at eatliver.com, which has got to be the weirdest named website I've ever heard, eatliver.com, has gathered some eye-popping, or should I say, shield your eyes men's clothing looks from the fashion runways like this one that says it's cold out but i'm still going to wear my pajamas with oversized gloves can you imagine that buying looks just that like outfit? trey crazy wow. isn't it is that you trey? it is trey yeah <laughs> or what about this striped summer suit that includes some sort of cooking pot helmet uh i, I know every man's <laughs> wife would love to see him come home in that right here's one a weird, nightmarish Santa's workshop security guard getup. Uh, and if you're hungry, how about buying an outfit that makes you look like a giant Cheeto? Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. I like that. Well, just like any of those male runway models at a Harley biker rally, we got to get out of here. But always remember that we read the news. So you don't. Well, Keith, I could really see you sporting that Cheeto suit. I mean, the color and the cheese powder, and that would complement you 
really nicely. Well, let me tell you something. If I buy it, remember, it's nacho cheese. It's, <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> Coming up next, TV star Barry Williams. Remember those Brady Bunch names. And then performs with the band, the Travelers on Huckabee. Rock and roll song by Chuck Berry, Johnny B. Good, bringing us back in. Well, back in the uh, 1960s and 70s, my next guest was cast in hit TV shows like Dragnet, Gomer Pyle, USMC, and Mission Impossible. But it was his starring role on The Brady Bunch that made him a household name. He's also known as America's most reliable big brother, Greg from The Brady Bunch. Today, he lives in Branson, Missouri, and tours with his band, The Travelers. Would you please give a big welcome to Barry Williams? You know, everybody who is doing Zoom over the course of the coronavirus, they all felt like they were on the Brady Bunch because everybody's pictures were in these squares on the yeah, screen. The magic of Sherwood Schwartz and, <laughs> and foresight, huh? Who would have known these little boxes? That they now are part of our, our, our everyday lives. Speaking of television, uh, this week, Barry Williams got notified that he is nominated for an Emmy for a home improvement show on HGTV. Man, do you just keep racking stuff up? That's pretty cool. We're Congratulations. I'm excited about the, uh, the whole team of uh, a very Brady renovation, yeah. which was done for HGTV. We, we did it uh, last year. It started out as a special, and it turned into eight different shows. Um, but we took the original sh uh, uh, house and turned it into what our set looked like so that the house ah. that was just a picture before became a real live set. You know, Barry, a lot of people who were child actors and had an experience of being on a very uh, successful television series for several years, sometimes they burn out, they get bitter. You didn't. You, you're not a bitter person. You're a guy who loves life. You, you continue to entertain. Why were you able to take all of the pressure from being a child actor and a child star and not burn out and continue to love people and love entertaining? I came from a very good family, mm. and it was my choice. I think a lot of the burnouts yeah. are people that are get pushed, the kids get pushed into it. Um, I loved every minute of it. Mm. I, would, I would show up early to work, and I'd, I'd arrive at Paramount Studios, and for me, it was like going to work at Disneyland. The shows that were there, Star Trek, Mission Impossible, Mannix, uh, it just went on and on and on. The Odd Couple, Bonanza were all there, and I visited all of them as well. So for me, it was a very magical place to be, and then having a series for all those years, you learn a lot about acting, about lights, about directing, about writing, and it was a, a really joyous experience. So I tried to carry that on through. You now live in Branson, Missouri, which is an entertainment hub for yes. most of America. But you do most of your entertaining all over the country. You perform at uh, civic arenas and uh, events everywhere. So people can book mm -hmm. Barry yeah. Williams and the Travelers to yes, come to their town. And special events now, I... I we have a great time with this. We found a kind of a, a kind of a country, a little bit of bluegrass and a little bit of classic rock. Yeah. And my wife is also a hula dancer, so we have a Hawaiian percussion floating nice. through there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's been a really nice, nice experience. I, I performed my own show in Branson for yeah. six years, and then transitioned from that show into the Travelers. When you were on the Brady Bunch, um, you did some music. A lot of people may yes. not remember, but you sang. You you, you really had quite a, a spectrum of opportunity. So it was, I guess, maybe a natural thing that you would end up uh, doing a musical career after all. I was always hoping for that. You know, you get from, <laughs> you go from uh, keep on keeping on, and uh, uh, it's it's time to change. <laughs> and and uh, maybe the most listened to song we did, "Sunshine Day," everybody's smiling. And uh, so it was. A, that was wonderful to do as a part of the show, and it's kind of carried carried on through my all my adult life. Barry, did you guys get along? I mean, because that's a that's a lot of people 
working together long hours every day. And I know that's not really a fair question, and I'm not sure you'll give me an honest answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. The thing I'm the most grateful for, and going back to family, I think yeah. that's really, really what the, uh, uh, the reason behind that is, the foundations. There were, in our Brady Bunch kids, there were yeah. no, no divorces in any of the kids' families during the time that we were filming. Mm. And so we were all going home, living normal lives, and then coming together as a group of professionals. Yeah. And we had to work through our friendships and, and the professionals, and there were squabbles and things like, as always. Sure. But uh, we formed a bond during that show that is, has lasted all these years mm. and came back two years ago to uh, film for a year this Brady renovation, and it was all right there again. Well, I want to tell you what a thrill it is for us to have you here. I know you have to get tired of having all these Brady Bunch questions, but, you know, bring you, it on. you recognize bring it on. <laughs> and we're a part of one of the great moments of America where we celebrated the family, and we need to do that so much more, and we are delighted that you have continued to entertain. Our audience is going to get a chance to hear you uh, sing with your wife, Tina, and guitar player, Michael, the Travelers, and Trey in the band, and a rather amateurish bass player is going to join you for the song. Nice. Why not? Nice. Why not? So, as Barry gets ready to perform, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you how to get the music of Barry Williams. Keith, tell us. Well, to stay connected with Barry Williams and enjoy his new music, please go to barrywilliamsofficial.com. And after the show, go to huckabee.tv for an encore performance of an original song by Barry and the Travelers, exclusively on huckabee.tv. And in 60 seconds, Huckabee's back with a performance by Barry Williams and the Travelers. Stay tuned. Now, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection is joined by Mike on bass, Barry's wife, Tina Mahina, and musician Mike Ristoff. Please welcome Barry Williams and the Travelers. <laughs> 